There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Paper Ghosts is a production of iHeartRadio. Previously on Paper Ghosts. Going down the highway between here and the next exit, I tucked myself in and out of calling the police about 100 times. And the last thought I had was if it was my daughter, I'd want to know. Back then, my understanding was that to the extent that there were any traces of DNA on anything like the blanket or clothes or anything like that, the technology was such that they just couldn't, it wasn't usable, right? There wasn't enough of it. A lot of people were critical of the publicity that was put out. They said, well, doesn't it bother you? Yes, but I see her face whether I see it on a picture or whether I don't. My name is M. William Phelps. I'm an investigative journalist and author of more than 40 true crime books. This is Season 3 of Paper Ghosts, In Plain Sight. Hoy. 
Over the past 30 years, a number of suspects have stood out in Tammy Zawicki's murder case. When I began my own investigation, it was apparent that the semi-truck driving serial killer types who preyed upon young females in the late 80s and early 90s were at the top of the list. There was also Lonnie DeMott, the guy who found and helped move Tammy's body from the roadside in Lawrence County, Missouri. And then there was a lead that came in five days after Tammy was reported missing in August of 1992. That tip from an eyewitness who said she was driving eastbound on Interstate 80 when she saw a man in a blue or green pickup truck parked behind Tammy's car along the westbound side of the highway. It was a lead that former ISP investigator Marty McCarthy believes was largely ignored. So what do we know about this man? Tall, slender, unshaven, uh, just kind of disheveled, I would say. And he's got to have ball ballpark hat. Kind of uh, a typical denizen, you know, I mean, nondescript in that sense. White guy. Marty believes to this day that the guy driving that pickup truck is the best suspect in Tammy's disappearance and murder. If you look at all the details on paper, it's understandable why he appeared suspicious. All the pieces seem to fit. When you break this lead down, any investigator worth their weight would be drawn to the guy. Still, based on the sheer number of tips about a white semi-truck seen parked near Tammy's car, the ISP was solely focused on finding an 18-wheeler specifically one with rust-colored stripes. Essentially, a needle in a haystack. As the year came to an end, Tammy's case had started to run cold. Then, in early January, a new call came into the tip line. Call comes to the office from this woman, who, I don't know if anybody recognized her or not, saying, hey, these people just, they came to my, to my office. It turned out the person on the other end of the line was the same woman who, just four months earlier, had called in the tip about the blue or green pickup truck. She calls back in, you know, and we go out and see her. And no one talked to her in an intermediate period of time. During this second call, the eyewitness claimed that the man she had seen on the side of the road with Tammy had actually shown up to her place of work along with his wife. She has an eerie feeling about him from the get-go, she told me. This guy, whoa, I had my, my hair kind of went up. Kind of looks like the guy out on the road. Looks like the guy. She told me that. And I don't think he rec- you know, obviously wouldn't have recognized her. But she was somewhat freaked by that. Uh, and he just sit, kind of sits there. Marty says the person the eyewitness identified was a 31-year-old man named Lonnie Beerbrot. Not to be confused with Lonnie DeMott, the repairman who found Tammy's body. Rather, this Lonnie, Lonnie Beerbrot, was a former semi-truck driver and a convicted felon who had been ordered to serve three concurrent 20-year sentences for armed robbery. He ended up getting paroled in July 1990. He was a trucker, violent felon, uh, got a green pickup truck. Uh, lives a few miles from the scene, lived in Sarkozy, 
was from LaSalle, Peru. According to the ISP, the Bierbrat family owned property about 10 miles from the stretch of highway in Sarcoxy, Missouri, where Tammy's body was found. Sarcoxy wasn't a heavily trafficked city at the time. Still isn't. Today, there are only about 1,500 residents. And back in 1992, the only logical route off the highway to get to the Bierbrat residence was exit 33, the same exit where Tammy's body was found. More importantly, Lonnie Bierbrat also had family 500 miles away in Peru, Illinois, the neighboring town from where Tammy went missing. He was from that area as well, and the ISP confirmed that on the day Tammy vanished, August 23, 1992, Bierbrat was just minutes from the spot on I-80 where she was last seen. I've done this a long time, and I just thought, whoa, bingo. I can't say everybody else did, but I, how many coincidences can there be here? So they decided to go down, the whole task force, to Missouri. And for whatever reason, I, I didn't get assigned to go down there. I don't know why. I'll take, who knows? I didn't care. I had some stuff to do here. And they took, a, I, I, as I recall, they took a lot of physical evidence out of there. Did they bring them in for questioning? They come back and uh, they uh, bring him in interview him, take his blood, take his, all the samples, DNA, all this kind of shit. At the time, Marty was actually out in the field assigned to handle other parts of the Zwicky investigation. So the responsibility of documenting and chasing leads fell on other members of the task force, including one of Marty's colleagues who questioned Lonnie Bierbrot at the station. So... He says, yeah, I interviewed him. He's just spacey as hell. He's just, I don't like, doesn't say anything. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a space cadet type of thing, which happens. Meantime, while he's there at the state police, in comes his brother and makes a big scene saying, hey, where's my, you got my brother. I want my, what are you doing? What are you doing? Making a big scene in the state police about where he's supposed to be, which always mm, interesting. Newspapers reported that Bierbrot's wife and in-laws were interviewed. Investigators searched through the Bierbrot's trash and reviewed their phone records. But before anyone on the task force could further pursue their strongest lead yet, Marty and his colleague were hit with a surprising development. All of a sudden in February, they walk in, we're dissolving the, the task force. 15, 16 guys. They had been taken from other districts. There's other cases building up. Commanders are saying, blah, 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 blah. I can understand that. And we'd been there for a number of months. But here, in my view, we get the best lead we've ever had. By early 1993, the 14-member task force investigating Tammy's murder had completely disbanded, citing a lack of progress as the main reason. Investigators vowed to follow any additional leads as they came in but the number of law enforcement working the case was significantly cut. To me, it's a clear example of the department's mismanagement early in this investigation. Why take a team of seasoned investigators chasing a lead their supervisor deemed one of the most relevant off the case? This always bugged me, but I'm told in no one in certain terms to stay out of this case. And I do, because I know what those suckers will do. By May of 1993, 
eight months after Tammy Zawicki's murder, police said they had followed up on more than 650 leads and 2,500 truck sightings to no avail. A police spokesperson at the time said they just ran out of leads. Because of this, the Illinois State Police did something it hadn't yet done. Investigators publicly released a list of items belonging to Tammy that were missing from her car and person when her body was found. Among them, Tammy's pair of round, wire-framed eyeglasses, a woman's watch that played Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, a pair of gray Asics running shoes, a large brown faux alligator skin purse, Tammy's driver's license, and her Canon EOS 35mm camera and lens. The spokesperson noted that the ISP had been aware of the missing items all along, but, quote, we have no new suspects and no new leads, so it doesn't matter anymore, end quote. Their hope? That someone had purchased one of the items at a pawn shop or would see one of them and call in. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge 
enriches your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. After Marty McCarthy was removed from the task force in 1993, he eventually became the commander of the ISP's Division of Internal Investigations for all state employees in the Chicago area. All along, he never stopped thinking about what happened to Tammy Zawicki. When he retired in 2001, he amped up his involvement in the case and became determined to find out more about the man in the pickup truck. He believes that Lonnie Bierbrot was that man and had something to do with Tammy's murder. Marty eventually connected with Tammy's mom to share his theory and discuss the investigation. For him, it was about getting the Zawicki family the answers they deserved and following evidence he believed had been overlooked. I'm up in Michigan on vacation. I'm playing tennis with my wife. And I stop. I say, God damn it. I just can't live with this. He said, what are you doing? We're playing tennis. I just cannot live with this bad. I got to do something. I got to call Mrs. Wiki. just driving me crazy. I go call her. And um, I said, hello, it's Marty McCarthy, blah, blah, blah. I said, I said, have you ever heard of Lonnie Beerbrot? No. Although she wasn't happy with the investigation at that time. I said, well, Lonnie Beerbrot was a suspect in this case, a very strong suspect in this case. I just wanted to know if you knew. And if you didn't know, I wonder why. And I personally believe he should be pursued. And she said, I agree with you. I'm on your side. And we took off for like 20 years together on this talking to people. As part of his own investigation, Marty made a point of reaching out to the eyewitness who led investigators to Beerbrot in the first place. He trusted her account and deemed her to be extremely credible because her husband was a prominent member of the law enforcement community. It was during one of their meetings in the early 2000s that Marty claims the eyewitness revealed new details to him about her encounter with the Beerbrot family a decade earlier, details which shifted his investigation into high gear. As he explains it, the eyewitness said she found herself engaged in conversation with Lonnie Beerbrot's wife on the day they came into her workplace in 1993. Mrs. Beerbrot is talking, Lonnie's sitting there morose and the wife is rattling on and she starts talking about Lonnie gave me this watch it plays a musical tune and uh, she kind of showed it to me and and uh, you remember seeing it and I couldn't see anything on it or like that or played, she didn't play a tune for me so I go holy shit holy shit It's important to note that the eyewitness did not mention a watch in her statement to the police. It wasn't until nearly a decade later, during her meeting with Marty, and long after it was publicized that Tammy's watch was missing, that she told the story of Lonnie's wife wearing one. How many fucking watches 
play a tune. I want to know what that tune is. Let's find out if that is raindrops. That's the killer to me. It just, that's it. And all we got to do is find that out. Here's Tammy's mom, Joanne. Do you remember the type of watch she was wearing? Did the watch play that song, Rain? Raindrops keep falling on my head. She was wearing that watch. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And did it have a greened watch band, do you remember? I don't remember for sure. Green was her favorite color, so I'm sure it was a green watch band. It was just a simple watch. It wasn't anything fancy. If I, I remember her saying she needed a watch to keep time because she had to move from one place to another. So. But you recall it playing... Raindrops keep falling on your head. During the latter part of 2021 and throughout 2022, I made repeated attempts to reach out to the eyewitness to verify Marty's story about the watch. She never responded. What worries me about her information is that I'm hearing it secondhand and have no convincing way to corroborate it. She seems credible, but it's important to note that the beer brought identification, the watch story, and the sighting of the pickup truck all come from her and her alone. What I have been able to verify through police documents is that the eyewitness did call the ISP task force in January 1993. She said the beer brat's visit to her workplace occurred the previous month, in December, and that Lonnie's wife did most of the talking for him. That the couple was originally from the LaSalle County area of Illinois, but as of December 1992, had still maintained property in Lawrence County, Missouri. Here's Tammy's brother, Todd Zawicki. Obviously, over time, we've had some people who look like plausible suspects. You know, there was the whole story with Lonnie Beerbrot uh, and the watch uh, and the wife, you know, kind of not quite clear what that evidence, you know, what where that all led. uh, But that was who a lot of people thought was the most plausible suspect. Marty says the witness also told him something he'd never heard before, that after the ISP paid a visit to the Beerbrot residence and brought Lonnie in for questioning, Lonnie and one of his brothers showed up to the witness's place of work upset. The next day or very soon after that, they both show up unannounced. She's scared, said, who called the police? Who called? Who told us that my brother? You know, just made a big scene there and that kind of thing. To me, holy shit. Now, I'm not even sure the state police knows that second part. But my view was, I'm not, I have no, I can't write a police report. I'm retired. I call the state's attorney and he said, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. But he, I said, I'll be right, I'll come down there right now. So I sit out there in his waiting room for an hour, about an hour, and I'm being blown off. So I go to the secretary, I say, look, here's the deal. Well, he's in there with a meeting, I kind of said, yeah, okay, fine. I'm going to go over to the, the newspaper with this information. I'm going to give this to somebody. He didn't want to talk to me, fine. I'll be over to the newspaper. He comes out. Marty's next move would turn him into a polarizing figure. He made good on his promise to contact the media. If you Google Tammy's case, you'll see his name all over it. He's been very critical of how the ISP handled the investigation. Unfortunately, I can't interview Lonnie Beerbrot. He died in 2002 while serving time in prison on unrelated charges. When Marty sought out Lonnie in the years after he retired, 
the state's attorney explained that Lonnie had passed away and that interest in him as a suspect fizzled. Marty told me he didn't understand why investigators had not pursued Beerbrot more aggressively, even after his death. He even pleaded with the prosecutor to pursue a case, but was told protocol required the state police to bring the case forward for prosecution. Something they never did. What? I said, these guys are not going to bring this case. They don't believe it. And this is the information. You don't have to believe me. Go get this information. No, I don't. doesn't work that way. Why not? I said, get a grand jury in here. I just couldn't fucking believe it. As I began to look into every aspect of the early investigation, one of the first things I did was identify who exactly was responsible for following up on the eyewitness's tip. Turns out, it was an ISP investigator named Bill Hamill, who, like Marty, was a member of the task force. Folks I've spoken to describe Hamill as a respectable guy and a thorough investigator, but Marty believes Hamill dropped the ball on this one. On the official tip sheet, which I obtained from a source, there's a hand-drawn star next to the eyewitness's name. It was put there, according to Marty, by an ISP supervisor and was meant for Hamill. Marty claims the star, in and of itself, was important. Marty says the eyewitness told him that no one reached out to her after she called in the initial tip, and that by the time investigators finally got around to interviewing Lonnie Beerbrot months later, he could have destroyed crucial evidence by then. All I know is that they, they found the vehicle, the pickup truck. It had been sold and cleaned. and They do, they do a, um, a crime scene on that. They find his house. He has sold it, cleaned it, and left. To clarify, Beerbrot's wife's Toyota pickup truck was blue. Still, did the ISP miss a crucial window of opportunity to connect Lonnie Beerbrot to Tammy's murder? That tip was followed up on. Every single tip is documented. Every single one. Jeff Padilla a retired ISP lieutenant who you've heard in previous episodes, is adamant that the department followed up on every credible lead that came in. They had to. It was not only part of their job, but standard policy. There was a pickup truck recovered and analyzed, but the information related to the the pickup truck didn't coincide. Basically, it, it was eliminated. Padilla told me there was, and still is, evidence that was never publicly released. Evidence that helped the ISP weigh how seriously they viewed Lonnie Beerbrot as a suspect. Marty says once he heard the eyewitness's watch story, he sprung into action and went further up the chain of command. I call out there and talk to this guy's supervisor, Hamill's supervisor. He doesn't know anything about the case. He's a new guy. I said, hey, you know, this woman is a witness. He hasn't been interviewed in 10 goddamn years. Now there's new information. you got to send somebody out there to talk to her. I said, well, uh, and he said, okay, guess who he sends? Hamill. Hamill. So Hamill goes out there and interviews <laughs> And the whole, according to her, I talked to her about this. The whole thing is McCarthy should have nothing to do with this. He's, uh, he's retired. He doesn't know anything about this. The whole thing was a downer on me. What information he got. I don't know. Did she give him the watch story? Uh, I presume she did, but I never saw that report. 
But he's already got it blown off. It's a watch botch. You know, he just blown this thing off. And if he wrote a report of that, I never saw it. I tracked down Bill Hamill in late 2022. He's long since retired and now lives in the South with his wife. I spoke with them both and found the couple to be kind and more than willing to be on the podcast, but a medical condition prevented Bill from consenting to a formal interview with me. Because of that, I worried about his recollections and felt it would be unethical to air any part of our conversation. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I've driven down highways and I've looked over and I've seen remote canyons 
and places along the way where a guy could pull over his vehicle and at the right circumstance walk out there and get rid of whatever he wanted and get back in his vehicle and drive off. Keith Hunter Jesperson, otherwise known as the Happy Face Killer, was a semi-truck driving serial killer who bound, raped, and strangled eight women while crisscrossing the country between 1990 and 1995. What was the farthest distance you ever traveled and the longest period of time you ever traveled with a, with a body in your truck? The longest period of time. Did you ever hold to a body for a couple of days, for example? No, no, no never did. Um, maybe 150 miles, 200 miles. And the body was what, in the cab with you? It was in the sleeper, yeah. So, and why, why did you hold on to the body for that long? Looking for a place to put it. That's one of hundreds of conversations I've had with Jesperson while he serves three consecutive life sentences at Oregon State Penitentiary. And basically, a killer instinct is based upon your comfort zone. And this is, in my, my comfort zone is a tool to use in murder. I first connected with him in 2010 after looking into his murder cases and studying the crimes of those like him. Jesperson is not and has never been a suspect in Tammy Zawicki's murder. But as I continued my investigation, it was hard not to think back to the conversations I had with him. To me, it was kind of almost a game to the fact that I'll just see whether or not this person get in my truck or not. How he rationalized his horrific crimes and managed to evade law enforcement for as long as he did. Well, nobody knew who I was. Nobody had an idea if I even existed in the first place. And of course, if evil happens, then someone must be responsible, so why not blame the ghost? To me, the trail of murder left behind by a truck driver like Jesperson offers valuable insight into Tammy's case. From the start, police investigating Tammy's murder looked at the possibility that a semi-truck driver killed and dumped her body somewhere along their truck route. And for what it's worth, it's a strong theory. Several well-known serial killers were operating at the time. In June 1992, just two months before Tammy was murdered, three women, 47-year-old Cheryl Levitt, 19-year-old Susie Streeter, and 18-year-old Stacy McCall disappeared from Cheryl's home about 30 miles from where Tammy's body was found. The women were more famously known as the Springfield Three, and to date, they have not been found. What's more, Susie and Stacy were young and blonde, like Tammy. Were the cases connected? Here's Tammy's brother, Todd Zawicki. Most of the time when you hear these stories come out, it's these interstate truckers who also kind of live on the fringe of society and move around and, you know, nobody really knows that much about them or where they go. And when they go there, there were other truckers who would come up. Uh, Bruce Mendenhall was a name I recall. Bruce Mendenhall was a trucker from Southern Illinois who became a solid suspect for ISP investigators. Mendenhall was known as the truck stop killer because he preyed upon vulnerable women, mainly hitchhikers and women hanging around truck stops. He was arrested in Tennessee in 2007 when he was 56 and seemed to tick 
many of the boxes in Tammy's case. After his arrest, Mendenhall even confessed to six murders in several states. Tammy's was not one of them. Still, with guys like Mendenhall, it's difficult to fully know how much they're withholding from authorities. For example, in 2021, a decade after Mendenhall had already been convicted of murder, he was connected by DNA to another murder beyond the six he had been tied to. What I have kind of reconciled myself to was the idea that if this was the typical profile of a sort of a transient trucker or somebody like that who lived on the edge of society, I've just assumed by this point the guy's probably dead or in jail for something else or died in jail for something else or something like that. It's just not the kind of person who I would expect to have um, still been around and alive to be an active suspect and that sort of thing. At least that's been my working assumption. Here's former LaSalle County State's Attorney Brian Town. The state police followed a lot of leads with regard to serial killers, you know, that have been caught throughout the the country um, that may have had, you know, ties to our area at that time frame. And, and, and all of those leads turned up nothing. Every time police thought they had a trucker who might have been responsible for Tammy's murder, the evidence wasn't there to back it up. In one instance, a 45-year-old truck driver from Colorado, William James Bannister, was arrested in July 1993 for attempting to kill a 14-year-old girl. Law enforcement found bloody clothes, including undergarments, in the cab of his truck and thought they might be Tammy's. But Bannister was ultimately cleared. This scenario happened over and over again in Tammy's case. Investigators thought they had a solid lead on a trucker who fit the bill, only to rule them out via blood, DNA, or circumstantial evidence. I made a point to ask Brian Town about Marty McCarthy's theory on Lonnie Beerbrot. It was important to me to understand what other investigators thought about Marty's dogged pursuit of the man he believed to be Tammy's killer. Now, you know Marty... McCarthy, correct? Oh, yes. How would you describe Marty? Uh, enthusiastic. Uh, um, I would, uh, dedicated, um, always pursuing the truth, but, uh, you know, at times maybe a little bit uh, too talkative during, <laughs> during the course of a pending investigation. I mean, Marty blamed um, Bill Hamill for a lot of the problems early on in this investigation. When you look at some of the mistakes that were made, and mistakes are made in every investigation. I'm not trying to hammer anybody here. I'm just saying that you know and I know that mistakes are made in every investigation. It's just the nature of human beings. Sure. And he blamed Hamill for a lot of that. What would you say to that? Well, you know, Master Sergeant McCarty was, um, he was very interested in this case. He was very, almost consumed uh, by this case. Uh, He was revealing information uh, to the family and to the public that really hurt law enforcement's efforts to uh, maintain a a proper investigation and the integrity of the investigation. Um, 
and I, and I can't speak to his motives. I, I sincerely don't know what the grudge was between McCarty and Hamill, except to say that in 30 years in law enforcement, I can say that, uh, you know, every police department, in, including the state police, they have their, <laughs> their moments where, you know, one person isn't too happy with another and, and they're, they're very critical of, of one another. It's a, it's a, it's a very emotional profession. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, those emotions get in the way. I'm solely focused on the truth. There's been too much misinformation within Tammy Zawicki's case. Part of the process included running down any holes in Marty's narrative. For me, anything and everything I could learn about Lonnie Bierbrot felt important, if, for no other reason, than to finally clear his name in the court of public opinion. If Bierbrot was a noteworthy suspect and could be circumstantially connected to Tammy's case, I needed to understand how it fit and why the guy was never charged. And for that, I needed to find and interview one person, Lonnie Bierbrot's ex-wife. So I made calls, sent emails, left messages, and even knocked on her door. And while I waited for her to respond, another name kept nagging at me, one that came up again and again as I spoke to members of law enforcement and others who closely watched Tammy's case. Lonnie DeMott. The other Lonnie. The guy who found Tammy's body and claimed that he had helped police carry it from the ditch to the roadside. Some were skeptical of Lonnie's narrative, including the administrators of the Who Killed Tammy Zawicki Facebook group. The first post he made was in September of 2020. It says, I'm Lonnie DeMott. I'm the one who found Tammy. Patrick Jones, the creator of the Facebook group, says Lonnie DeMott's online behavior in recent years has raised a number of red flags. He came in, he was posting like a son of a bitch, and then People were, all of a sudden, everybody was asking him questions like you wouldn't believe. And he's answering them. I asked him uh, a million questions come to mind. How did you see anything strange or out of place? Was there any tire tracks? How was the lighting at the scene? Just curious. And uh, he just disappeared. I think he wanted to confess to something, in my opinion, that he wants to say, hey, here's what happened. As it turned out, Armchair sleuths weren't the only people interested in Lonnie DeMott's version of events that day. Hi, Mr. DeMott. My name is I'm with the FBI out of Joplin, Missouri. And when you have an opportunity, could you please give me a call back at Thank you, Mr. DeMott. On the next episode of Paper Ghosts. The reasons given for him coming off the highway depends on what source you read. So we have some discrepancies as to what actually was going on there. Well, I think, you know, I mean, it's always easy to tell the truth, right? It, when you start making up stories, it'll change over time. I mean, if, you know, if I told you a lie today and you came back to me five years later, you know, and asked me the same question, I may not respond the same way. The direction we went thereafter was because of information we had received. I don't think that he's been ruled out by the law enforcement, but I think he's got something to do with it. It's just too 
coincidental. If you are enjoying Paper Ghosts, please listen to my other podcast, Crossing the Line with M. William Phelps, where I use the same storytelling elements you've heard in Paper Ghosts and cover missing person and murder cases. Paper Ghosts is written and executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Christina Everett. Additional writing by our supervising producer, Julia Weaver. Our associate producer is Darby Masters. Audio editing and mixing by Christian Bowman and Abu Zafar. Our series theme, number 442, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.